afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Howdy, everybody. Howdy. <laughs> I don't know. Howdy. Sure, howdy. It's Texas. Howdy. You know, here in Texas, we say howdy. We drive down the road. We do the we do the four-figured salute with the steering wheel, you know. Boom. Boom. Right? Yeah. Like that. Boom. Yeah. Hey. Like, every time you Amen. do that, you're making your cup. Let's fix that. There we go. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> your cup did not like it. Yes. My cup overfloweth. Yeah. Not right now. It's empty. But anyway, there we go. So, okay. Sunny out today. Another warm day. Going to get a little rain later this week. We need it all. Get those flowers. Get the grass yes. growing. Yep. Yep. The whole thing, right? Yep. So I was going to give a movie recommendation. Oh, cool. Okay. so We love those. My movie recommendation <laughs> is going to be the movie that won the Academy Award last night. Um, you know, I know all the news is about Will Smith. But the news really should be that this really enjoyable little little movie won the Academy Award. And what's the name of that movie? Coda. And it um, stands for Children of Deaf Adults. And it was such a good movie. Um, if you have Apple TV, you can watch it for free. Otherwise, I'm sure there must be a way of streaming it someplace. But um, Scott and I watched it, oh, I guess a month or so ago. We were just right. trying to see what we could stream that was actually nominated for the movies actually and, decent to watch <laughs> and what when the, the, the whole movie we love the movie and at the end scott looked at me and he said you'd have to be really hard-hearted hard-hearted not to love that movie it is such a touching movie it's done really really well it's about a young girl who lives with a, a teenage brother and both parents are are deaf and she's like senior she's in high only, school she's the only hearing person, person in the family yes and her passion is music music that's, and that's she the basic thrust of it incredible this yeah. this girl has a voice and of course her parents and her brother they they kind of just can't really get it because yeah, they can't of course hear they her. can't anyway highly recommended by Patty and Scott. Yep, there we go. Yep, yep. We'll bring you movie recommendations yes. time to time. <laughs> well, we have them. This one I feel like we can't miss, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people's taste is not like ours. But like that when one... I told my son Matt to go see Lars and the Real Girl. And he hated it. Man. He came back and asked me, Dad, what is, what, what? I said, Matt, come back, watch it in 10 years and come back and see me again. That's Maybe so you got to grow up first to so appreciate true. Lars and the real goal. Anyway, okay. Anyway, that's right. And I watched another great movie that's on TCM right now for free streaming, and that's the old 1950 Harvey about the rabbit and Jimmy Stewart. Which you had never seen. I had never seen the whole thing through. What a great movie. Scott and I could have sat around and talked about all kinds of theology yeah. for... Yep. It's just one of those movies, yeah. and, and um, it's really good. Really, really good. good. Can't miss it. I mean, you, you know, it's a good can't miss yes. recommendation. Yeah, those are the recommendations we like. Yes, <laughs> not only to give but to get. That's right. <laughs> you can't right. miss recommendations. That's right. So, so, anyway, where are we up to today? We're back to Isaiah. We're in Isaiah 11. We're going to start at around um, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. We're still in the messianic section. Okay. Just telling you, we're getting closer to the sections of Isaiah there where we will skip some of the chapters. We'll, we'll look at the heading, we'll talk about it, but you only need to talk about the judgment on one of the nations surrounding Judah so many times. Okay. 
really. Right. You'll see. Okay. So anyway, glad y'all okay. are here. This is great. Well, I'm just looking there, and I see Yvonne says that um, I'm sure that was Harvey and Bob Kerr agree that it it's just such a great movie. It's a pretty hard movie not to and like. And if you haven't really. seen it for like years, I really would suggest seeing it again. Like, right? With fresh eyes and seeing how the people of this town, um, except for his And what own movie family. did it make us think of? Lars and the Real Girl. Lars and the Real Girl. Yeah. With, what's that guy's name? Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it, it's... It's one of those movies where the people, they, they just love Jimmy Stewart so much that, you know, they can see Harvey too, some of them, except his own family. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, it's one of those movies. It's it's just great. It is. I think we should probably get into Isaiah. He's great too. <laughs> He's even older than, than Harvey. He's okay, <laughs> let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today. And we come today to resume our journey through Isaiah. And some of Isaiah is pretty easy. Some of it's difficult. We have trouble making connections to some of it. Um, but help us to appreciate that all of this is, the, these are all sacred texts that you have given us um, so that we can come to know you better and understand how you have worked in this world. And may we come to, the, to it with um, understanding with maturity, with devotion, um, and commitment. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Better get out of your way here and kind of unplug okay. Alexa over there. Yeah, we got to unplug her to shut her up. Right? Yes. <laughs> we have figured that out. Okay, so as, as I said, friends, we are at Isaiah 11, verse 10. So we are right sort of in the midst the best part of it is Isaiah verses uh, chapter 11 verses 1 to 9 very messianic take a look at it again um if you would if you have your bibles open to the NIV you know last tuesday i start i i did the whole class from the NRSV and threw everybody off because i just messed up i grabbed the wrong bible and the sad part of it is i didn't even realize it I just plunged right in. I think I was I think I was so excited to be there to be there myself. So, you know, let's visit a little bit of the first part of chapter 11 just cuz it's wonderful and you're going to want to come back to it now and then over the next couple of weeks, I bet you. So, chapter 11 verse 1. After all the destruction, after all the all the loss, all of the betrayal of God and faithlessness and the faithlessness of the kings. Verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. And indeed, as we talked about last week, I hope it... In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus rises to read from the scroll of Isaiah, he begins with that line right there, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's where he begins, because indeed the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest on Jesus. This is a messianic passage, um, and Jesus, of course, is that Messiah, is the Messiah, and he introduces himself 
to his neighbors in that way. So the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the awesomeness of God. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Verse 5, righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness the sash around his waist, and indeed it encompasses all of creation, for the wolf will lie down with the lamb. And, and as prophets do, they use these word pictures to convey, to build images of a world free of chaos, free of violence, free of death, a world of peace, where even wolves lie down with lambs, children can play with poisonous snakes, all of that. It's, it is literal in the sense that that world is coming, but it's not literal in the sense, I mean, these are word pictures of, 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 what, of what a world of peace would look like. If the prophet were working today in 2021, he would probably use different word pictures than some of the ones they do. We don't really identify very closely with the prophet who says everyone's going to sit under their own fig tree. I don't have any fig trees. Do you have any fig trees, Patty? I don't. I don't even have any fig newtons around right now. But that's okay. Don't need them. So, verses 1 to 9 is this promise from God in the midst of all of the faithfulness and all of the arrogance that there will be a rescuer. That's what it is, that there will be a rescuer. And um, you need to, as, you, as we make our way through Isaiah, you need to hang on to that promise. Um, because there's a lot of Isaiah that, that's, particularly in these early portions that are given over to painting dramatic pictures of a lost world, a world that has abandoned God and embraced arrogance. A world that has hu abandoned humility and embraced pride. So we want to begin today, really there at verse 10. Um, we're still in that messianic section. Okay? And when it's now going to become a, um, a look at how God is going to bring his people and the nations together in sort of what is really like a due exodus. We'll see that when we get to the end here. So look at verse 10. In that day, I mean, when God does God, you know, if you hear me teach for a long time, I'm often talking about, well, when God does God's big thing, right? That's a phrase I use. I don't know why. <laughs> I liked it, I guess, the first time I came up with it. When God does God's big thing, right? When God... When God puts things right, when God puts the world to right, that's the day of the Lord. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. Now that is a reference to um, the Israelites. The nations will rally to him. The nations, the word in the Hebrew is the goyim. They will rally to God. So this is all encompassing. It is encompassing God's people, the ones through whom God would rescue humanity, and it encompasses the Gentile world. 
because though it often seems in scripture that the Jews forgot about that particular part of, of why God chose them, it is really the reason God chose them. As God told Abraham, so that all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's why Abraham was chosen, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the whole world. So in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, this rescuer. And his resting place will be glorious. It'll just everybody will be able to see him for who he is. In that day, Yahweh will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babyl Babylonium, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. This long list of ancient places to which Jews have been scattered. And a you see the reference to a second time? Um, it's not entirely clear what that second time what was what's the first time we're talking about? But I am certainly with those who think who think that what Isaiah has in mind is a second Exodus. It's the second time God rescued his people from Egypt. Now he's rescuing them again. It could just be the immediate focus on what the Assyrians did to the northern tribes, but I think that's too limited, and it it loses. It loses too many important connections. So I think it's a, it's a it it it's the Exodus, and we'll see in a few minutes a little bit more about why I think that is. Okay, verse twelve. He will raise a banner for the nations. Those are the the Gentiles, and gather the exiles of Israel. They're all going. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the last quarters of the earth. Ed, what is it? It's a, everybody's going to get to come home. Gosh, what do millions of Ukrainian people want? Oh, that's all they want to do is. Come all they want to do is go home. They don't want to. They don't want to go to Poland. They don't want to go to the U.S. They don't want to go anywhere. They just want to go home. They want to go home. The Jews of the diaspora, the diaspora is a good word to know. The diaspora is, they're various, I don't know, are they diasporae, uh, diasporas? But the diaspora of the Jews principally speaks to the scattering of the ten northern tribes um, after the, um, they were overrun by the Assyrians. But it speaks to the fact that the Jews ended up in lots of different places besides the land that was given them by God. And those Jews who live in all those other places are sometimes called Jews of the diaspora. The Apostle Paul was born a Jew of the diaspora because he was born a Jew in on the southern coast of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So he's a Jew of the diaspora. The Jews who lived in Rome, they were Jews of the diaspora. Um, the Jews who lived in Alexandria, Egypt, were Jews of the diaspora. So this, this, this is an image which would be so welcome by every Jew who ever read it of everybody coming home. It was really one of the driving forces in the creation of 
Zionism and, and uh, the modern state of Israel was to provide a home for Jews. And I think maybe in the last 10 years, they reached the point where there were more Jews in Israel than there were Jews in all the rest of the world combined. I think I'm right about that. But anyway, verse 13. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish, Ephraim representing the northern kingdom. And Judah's enemies, the southern kingdom, will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. They had been at war with one another at times. It goes way back, hundreds of years. The struggles between the northern king, the northern tribes, and the tribe of Judah. And um, you just knew it had to make God weep. And then we come to a passage that's talking about how they are going to prevail over their enemies in this. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. And, you know, I, I think it's easy to come to these kind of lines and we say, well, what? Are we talking about, like, here, revenge and all this kind of stuff? And do I think kind of, honestly. And then you, then somebody might say, well, all right, well, is this really very godly? And I'm going to say, well, maybe not, but it's certainly very, very human. And, and Scripture allows us to express our hearts, our sinful hearts. After class today, if you want, you can go home. I guess you're all already home. <laughs> you're already home. You can open up Psalm 137. It's frightful, frightful, frightful that that, that Psalm is. And, but it expresses um, the all-too-common human desire for revenge, really, for vengeance, for violence wreaked on us to be wreaked on them. You want to think about it that way. Verse 15. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea. With a scorching wind, he will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. That's, to the, that's from the Egyptian sea to the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. He's going to sweep away all the barriers. He's going to, make, he's going to enable people to even return from Egypt which is another, I just can't see it and not think of the Exodus. I was just going to say there, when he says he's going to do the scorching wind, it just sounds like the parting of the Red Sea. It that sure does, doesn't it? That's why I think it. that Isaiah has in mind this, this Exodus is this huge, let's see, maybe I should talk about this for a second. We are Christians. Our great salvation event is the cross. It's Good Friday. Jesus um, is crucified. He is faithful all the way to death, even death on a cross. Why? So that we might be reconciled with God. As Paul writes, we were bought with a price, and that price is exacted on, on, on Good Friday. For the Jews who don't embrace Jesus, the great salvation event is the story of the Exodus. Everything is before the Exodus and after the Exodus. That is the great salvation and throughout the Old Testament 
Um, God reminds them of how God had saved them from slavery in Egypt. Um, brought them up out of Egypt. It's even one of the scriptural fulfillments in the Gospel of Matthew when Joseph and his family returned from Egypt. There's the, the scriptural connection Matthew grabs there to talk about coming out of Egypt. So, verse 16, there will be a highway, a nice easy road for the remnant of his people that is left from Syria. So as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. Okay, so the big overarching point is that this rescuer, this messianic, this Messiah, that is the focus of chapter 11, is going to call people home and rally not only the Jews, but rally the nations. And you see that idea um, fleshed out more and more and more as you progress in Scripture until finally it reaches its full culmination in the last couple chapters of, of Revelation. Um, one of the truths about the Bible is that there is a progressive revelation. In other words, we understand something about God and then we learn more and more and more about God until finally we learn that God is inherently relational in Jesus and wow, okay? So the same thing is true of a lot of other themes in Scripture. Um, we, we go from unlimited vengeance to an eye for an eye to leaving vengeance to God to unlimited forgiveness. And here we have this picture of rescue and it will only get richer and fuller and richer and fuller as we go as we go along in the story of Scripture all the way, all the way through. It's one of the grand things about about the Bible, I think. So that, my friends, is chapter eleven. Do you have anything to add to that, Patty? I don't. I don't. Any questions from anybody? Nope. Not right now. I think you've made the comparison really, you know, really well. Okay, so now we come to chapter 12. Chapter 12 is a song about praise of God. That, you know, again, these, these, it, the, the, the scroll is, of Isaiah is put together and it's, not sure who put it exactly together this way when, as we'll see in just a little bit. But yeah, okay, so now we come to some songs of praise about God. And it's appropriate that these songs of praise be placed right after this messianic section, which is all about the rescue of not only the Jews, but the rescue of the whole world. So of course we might expect to see some stanzas um, about about the praise, praising God. So, in that day, the day when God does this, when the rescue arrives, think about it that way, in that day, you will say, I will praise you, Yahweh, although you were angry with me. Right? Because they knew. Remember, they, you just got to remember this. If you ask the Jews of the day, why the Assyrians swept the northern kingdom away, why the Babylonians swept the southern kingdom of Babylon away. 
they will tell you it is because we were faithless. That is laid out in Scripture itself, in the book of Kings. The people themselves tell us why this happened to them. And it happened to them because they were faithless. They were faithless. They, they, they aroused God's anger, God's righteous anger, because they were faithless. They abused the widows and the orphans. They were not people of justice. They were not the people God had called them to be. So, chapter 12, verse 1. In that day you will say, I will praise you, Yahweh. Although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you have comforted me. God is a God of justice, and God is a God of mercy. And more often than not, God's justice is wrapped in a big blanket of mercy. And are we grateful for that? Verse 2. Surely God is my salvation. Right? This is the mistake King Ahaz made. King Ahaz decided um, that, going way back to the very beginnings of the scroll of Isaiah, he decided that the smart way to save Judah was to make a deal with the Assyrians. And God is disgusted with him for it. You go to them as opposed to coming to me. It's like when another king, whose name I'm not going to remember, has the big accident and falls through the latticework in his ceiling or something and, 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 and prays to God, pray, send people away to offer, make some offerings to pagan gods for him. And, and God just sends Elijah to, enter, to intercept them. And Elijah says, God wants to know, well, why didn't you come to God? Why are you going to these pagan these pagan idols that don't even exist. Why didn't you come to God? You see, it, it's tempting to always want to live in a very worldly way, kind of street smart, good public policy, all that kind of stuff that we strive to do. God is not so much focused on any of that. God is focused on God's way of us being a people of justice and mercy and compassion and righteousness and the rest of it. And God just doesn't think in the same terms that the world thinks in. And God doesn't want us to think in those terms either. So, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Yahweh, Yahweh himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water, Isaiah says, from the wells of salvation. <laughs> Can't help but connect that up to John chapter 4, can you, Patty? When Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And he offers her living water. and She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand what he's talking about. Verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give praise to Yahweh. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted, lifted up for everybody to see who God is. 
Sing to Yahweh, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel. That's that phrase that Isaiah in particular likes. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Right? Because that goes back to Mount Sinai and, and the giving of the law. God not only gave them the law at Mount Sinai, God gave them a blueprint to build the tabernacle, which would later become the temple, the place of that would be God's house and the place where God would dwell with them in a way that he did not dwell with any other peoples. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. God is with them in this. So, that, my friends, is chapter 12. So I just went, I'm going to ask you something which I probably should know, but I don't know, because that whole thing about the Lord being my strength, and I just went and looked that up real quick, and that comes from Psalm 28. Uh -huh. It's also part of Psalm 28, where the Lord is... My strength and my shield. Uh huh. So, who would have who would have used those words first? I guess David. Well, maybe I don't. You know, a shield is such a common thing in their world, right? Strength and shield. It's just it, those are both very common words. I mean, we don't use shields, but but they lived in a world of shields and spears and the rest of it. So, there's nothing unusual about them. But you do find that pieces of Scripture are repeated, and you found little bits of them and other things. A great example is um, Micah chapter 4, maybe, with a passage from Isaiah we've already done about people coming to the mountains of Zion and so forth. They're identical. Well, where do they and, and Isaiah and Micah were kind of working at the same time. So they're identical. So what does that mean? Well, it probably means it came from somebody else okay. before and had been incorporated by the prophets and then incorporated into these scrolls and taken by the people as God's word. That's the key. The key is that the community of God's people, led by the Holy Spirit, right, has accepted these writings and taken these writings as being God breathed, as Paul as Paul puts it, in in uh, his letter to Timothy. So, and that is the same way we Christians view it. These these are God the the scriptures are God breathed. They're not like other writings, which might be really valuable and very helpful and very inspirational and all the rest of it. But they're not like this. Even the passages we don't understand, <laughs> they're still God-breathed. And, and we should, even as we dance around on the surface of them sometimes, we, we should always remember that. So, and there are many questions like the one you asked, Patty, that we can't really know. Um, so, but we're going to get into a question kind of like that right now. So, Okay, here's where we are, friends. We are at chapter 13. If you have a Bible that has like little section headings at the top, splitting things up, it might say something like a prophecy against Babylon. And it's a long, it's a long section in your Bible. 
And if you started thumbing through, which you can do right now while I'm motioning, (laughs) (laughs) you can look through it and go page after page and you'll see, oh, there's a prophecy against the Moabites and there's a prophecy against, you know, these folks and these folks and these folks and these folks and these folks. And you come to realize like the next dozen chapters of Isaiah are like chapter 13, which actually this prophecy extends into 14. And they are prophecies. They are words of judgment against Israel's enemies. Right? And so that's why we're not going to read every word of every one. It would get too, 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 too numbing, I think. At least for me. Um, But you are welcome to, to... to read anything that we don't, you know, sort of on your own. But look what the look, look at what the first prophecy is. And a lot of time is going to be spent with it, that it's against Babylon. And it raises the question because when Isaiah is working as a prophet, you know, like working as a prophet, getting up in the morning and doing whatever Prophet. prophets did every day, every day right? Putting Prophetizing. On his, putting on his signboard, right? <laughs> yeah, whatever he does every day. Okay. Um, Babylon is not a very big factor in the world. They will be later. But when Isaiah is working, it's all about the Assyrians. So you would think that the first big one of these prophecies, this big word of judgment, I think I might be wrong. I think this is the longest of them. Would be a prophecy against Assyria. But it isn't. And so, like, what gives? Right. So I have. I, I did bring a couple maps. I don't know. If Steve Wilson is here today, but he'll be excited. Okay. So here's the here's the two kingdoms. Isaiah is a prophet working in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is swept away by the Assyrians in 722. It seems like the southern kingdom will be consumed by the Assyrians also in 701, but they're not. God comes, raises a giant terror, and the Assyrians go running for the hills. That's basically what happens in 2 Kings. But the but Babylon is not really part of this. This this is the that big green area there with the little orange splotch representing Jerusalem. That is the Assyrian Empire, and you know Babylonia is like a little province or a little area in it. They have big designs, but they are certainly having nothing to do at this point with the kingdoms of. Israel and Judah, uh, Judah. It's all about the Assyrians. Now, after Isaiah dies, after he's out of the picture, in the middle of the 7th century BC, the Babylonians rise up and they take control of this area. So in this map, the green is the area of the is the Babylonian Empire. And you'll notice there isn't even a little orange dot anymore representing Jerusalem. Why? Because the Babylonians are the ones who overrun Jerusalem. 
and send the Jews away into exile and destroy the temple and destroy the Ark of the Covenant and all the rest of it. So in the history of the Israelites, the biggest boogeymen are really the Babylonians. And so you come to this, this section and why is Babylon first in the scroll of Isaiah? And so the simplest explanation is probably the best one that as the scroll of Isaiah is worked on and passed on and developed and some pieces added on later, as I explained the first week of the class, um, that the ordering of this became focused on Babylon. So Babylon goes first because they are really the big boogeyman. And when and the scroll probably comes into its final form, maybe as 150 years after Isaiah, before the scroll is really all done and 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 it becomes this incredibly cherished scroll in um, to the Jews, and encompassing a lot of their history and story and God's work with them and so forth. That begins with Isaiah and then continues through his, I guess we might call him his disciples, who carry on Isaiah's work. Okay? So the first one up, this is the first big enemy, um, is Babylon. And it will set the stage, it will set the pattern for what God has to say to all of them. Okay? Alright? And Given where we've been, what do you think some of the some of the charges will be against them by God? Just ponder that for a second. While I take a take a sip of my water. <laughs> okay, so I. Well, I, I was thinking right yeah. away till I know how much you love Revelations and you've done it so much and right away I was picturing the whore of Babylon with the right the right so why is she the called the whore of Babylon and... who is the whore of Babylon in in Revelation who is the whore of Babylon who sits on the seven hills Rome Rome Rome, Rome. yeah say because Babylon becomes this becomes this in this, this Enduring image of the big monster. The big monster the consuming big monster. everything. Looking looking beautiful. On the outside, but, but consuming not. Israel. Yes. Right? The yes. big monster. So um I think that God is not going to charge these other nations with, for example, not living according to God's law. Because God's law was not given to them. God's law was only given to the Israelites. They don't know what God's law is. It's the Israelites who know what God's law is. So much of the charge against the other nations is focused on their rulers and focused on their pride and arrogance. We've already seen that. We've, you know, at least in the section headings in my Bible, the translators will put in, you know, the the arrogance of the Assyrians, the arrogance of even Judah. Arrogance is this huge human problem. Right? It's arrogance that drives 
Eve and Adam to eat the fruit in the Garden of Eden. They, they are tempted by the desire to be like God, to know what God knows. And we, 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 we still have that desire. And it is a source of our ruin, our unwillingness to accept that we are creatures in a cosmos created, created by God. So we're going to look for judgment and arrogance as we begin to step through, through this. I guess I better make sure I have the right glasses on. That so here we go. So this is this is kind of the standard form. A prophecy, right? Well, let's talk about prophecy. A prophecy is not typically really, oh, here I'm going to look at my crystal ball and tell you what I'm going to see down, coming down the road. A prophecy is God's word um, set forth. Um, the prophet's told forth God's word more than they foretold anything. They bring God's word of judgment sometimes, of encouragement sometimes. We just finished a long section where God, where Isaiah brought, brought forth God's word about a rescuer, a Messiah, someone who would rescue not only Israel but the world from the way that we are. So, chapter 13, verse 1. A prophecy against Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amaz, Amaz, saw. And here's how it goes. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop. Shout to them, beckon to them, to enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded those I prepared for battle. I have summoned my warriors to carry out my wrath, those who rejoice in my triumph. We are uncomfortable with the idea of God as a warrior. The Bible is not. In the ancient world, kings were the chief warriors of their tribes, of their kingdoms where um, I grew up Episcopalian, okay, so we used older language sometimes. We would talk about uh, about the Lord of Hosts. Did you ever hear that in the Catholic mm -hmm. Church, Patty? The Lord of Hosts. The Hosts. Well, what are the Hosts? <laughs> the Hosts are God's heavenly armies. That's what they are. Hosts is a reference to this idea of God as the commander of heavenly armies who are going to fight for right and fight for justice and fight against the wicked and fight against those who are against God. And um, I think that we're being reminded right now of the importance of those who will fight for justice and right will fight on behalf of the innocents. So so we, and in your Bible, that it's just kind of woven all the way through it, right? All the way, you can, you're not going to find a place where you leave it behind. If you think you do when you come to the New Testament, you're wrong because you come to Revelation 19 and what's happening? Jesus is riding in, leading the heavenly armies in Revelation 19, right? Mm -hmm. So it, but, it, but it's not warfare like, 
of course we think of it here it is it it is warfare against the cosmic powers of darkness against those who have chosen against god against the spiritual forces of wickedness and those wars are not fought with sword and shield made out of steel and iron right they're fought with the word they're fought with mercy and compassion and right and the rest of it they're fought with here's the big idea that robert prayed about on sunday they're fought with suffering and loss that's the cross you see the cross is a symbol of god's power right because it's the cross that is where god's victory over sin and death was won so when you come to god being the warrior have to turn things upside down um, and that also is a piece of it that is progressively revealed in scripture beginning in a time right now how far back in time is this 2700 years ago and um, so they respond they they want God to be their warrior every every tribe every every kingdom um, the 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 king was the principal warrior for the tribe so okay verse 4 listen a noise of the mountains like that of a great multitude listen an uproar among the kingdoms like nations massing together the lord almighty yahweh almighty yahweh sabaoth i just like the sound of that i know you do <laughs> well that's what it is it's yahweh sabaoth is mustering an army for war they come from faraway lands, from the ends of the heavens. Right? So you get some kind of clue that God is working on a different level than assembling a couple of brigades yes. Yes. <laughs> on the earth. Yahweh and the weapons of his wrath to destroy the whole country. You know? Babylon will not stand. As Babylon didn't stand. That's the... There have always been superpowers. And the superpowers never stand. They never last. They just don't. And there's probably a host of reasons. Edward Gibbon wrote his great book, the you know, on the Roman Empire, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, trying to explore that question of what happened to Rome, because at one time it seemed that Rome could never, could never fall. But they did. That is the way of superpowers. Oh, it's super... scary that we are a superpower. Well, it is. You know, you just have to be. You just have to be realistic and understand what matters and to who is the source of our salvation. Chapter twelve, Isaiah. Who is the source of our salvation? It is God. Yeah. It is God. It is God who is deserving of your trust and your faith. Be careful of putting how much trust and faith you put in anywhere else. It is God who is deserving of it. So, verse 6. Wail, <laughs> you Babylonians, wail. For the day of Yahweh is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. 
The day of the Lord. So I want to talk about the day of the Lord for a little bit. And I want to show you, we'll, we'll, I just want you to see a couple of biblical references about the day of the Lord. One about the already and one about the not yet. How does that sound, Patty? Wonderful. Wonderful, she says. <laughs> so, so turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you're saying to yourself. Yeah, Acts chapter 2. So, in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit arrives at Pentecost, empowering the disciples, bringing them together. They're all standing up speaking the good news in languages they couldn't possibly understand. It is the true beginning of the carrying out of the Great Commission that Jesus gave his disciples to, to go and, and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And it's very thrilling, and we have a whole Pentecost Sunday, right? Yes, it's in the I'm sorry, church. Acts. So we're going to go though to Acts chapter two. Chapter two. Okay. Now, what Acts chapter two is, a little bit um, later that day. Actually, the day of Pentecost is in chapter two. So, a little bit later that same day, Peter rises to address the crowds. Okay. So he doesn't just wing it. What he does is he begins by quoting from a prophet, like Isaiah, not Isaiah, from the prophet Joel, about the day of the Lord and the cosmic significance of the coming of the day of the Lord. Because indeed, the coming of the day of the Lord arrived in Jesus. How do we know that? Because Jesus was resurrected. That's how we know it. That's how we know it. Okay, so look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders, wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and every, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And why does he use all of that stuff from Joel and maybe another place or two. Why? Because the kingdom of God arrived in Jesus. God's victory over the cosmic forces of wickedness was won. Was won. And so already, and yet of course, we still live with sin and death. So there's a not yet awaiting it. So turn to Revelation chapter 6. Did I know you were going to get Revelation in there. Yeah, well, <laughs> Patty knows how much I, I actually, over the years, I've learned to enjoy and appreciate the book of Revelation. You just have to meet it on its own terms. This summer, we're going to have a whole big Revelation deal going on. 
lots of resources available and so forth um, around the book of Revelation because it's so it's either ignored church-wide 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 not just me no not really not me <laughs> I, I'm preparing a lot of it but church-wide because Revelation is either ignored the pages are all still glued together in your Bible or it's much abused and misread and misunderstood and just makes you shake your head. So just look at, let's say, chapter 6, verse 12. Okay? Chapter 6, verse 12. Revelation 6, 12. This is uh, when the seals are being opened. I won't get into all of that, but there's a series of seals that are open. And bad stuff is happening. And why, why is the bad stuff happening? Because we're hoping that the people will repent in the face of the bad things happening. They will realize all the stuff that they, you know, guess what? They're really going to actually die someday. So anyway. Revelation 6, verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. See, sounds just like the book of Joel, read, um, quoted by Peter on Pentecost, right? The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth and the and as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Wow. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves, and among the rocks of the mountain. And they call to the mountain and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? And it's such a sad paragraph, because who do they call upon to protect them? Do they call upon God? No. They call upon the mountains and the rocks. They call to the mountains and the rocks. <laughs> so fall on us. <laughs> it's, you know, it's dramatic. I will give you that. It is dramatic, but it is an age-old story. And the day of the Lord is this day when accounts will be reckoned, reconciled. I mean, things will be added up. Um, go back to Isaiah 13, verse 6. These passages like, like we've been reading from Joel and Acts and, and Revelation, they're not meant to terrify us into slamming our Bibles and, and running away. They are meant, they're a little bit, I always call it like two by fours up against the side of our heads to say to us, no, No, you can't put your ultimate trust in all the world's armies and all the king's men. It must be God. There's no doctor in the world who's going to keep you living forever. 
You know, I, I think we're living it right now in days when this should be made plain to us. Right? I, I, um, there's all been all this talk all of a sudden that I haven't heard for 60 years about nukes and bombs and all this kind of stuff. And if you talk to a young person, they've never experienced that. They can't contemplate a world that they can't control. They can't contemplate a world in which, well, if somebody hits the button, nobody wins, everybody loses. What should I do? Should I, should I pack my go bag or whatever? No. Nobody wins, everybody loses. You see, in the end, our faith, our trust has to be in God. This must be. There's, there's a lot more terrors in our world than there were than there um, was in this, the world here. So look at Isaiah thirteen six. Wail, you Babylonians, for the day of Yahweh is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every heart will melt with fear. Terror will see them, seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming. It's a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger. For whom, you might ask yourself. Do you... Do we have something to fear with the Lord's coming? I don't. I'm ready to go be with Jesus, mm -hmm. right? But if you have mocked God, if you have oppressed the poor and the needy, if you have abandoned the weak of this world, If you have turned your back on Jesus, then, yeah, you might. Because God's anger is righteous. And, as we talk about so many times, none of us want to live in a world in which God does not have a righteous anger. God, we, I want to worship a God who is angry about these Ukrainian cities and people being destroyed. And for the Babylonians who will, who, who will destroy the temple and destroy the Ark of the Covenant and destroy the, the, the tablets of the law and kill thousands of Jews and send thousands more into exile, See, verse 9, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make people scarcer than pure gold. Wow, more rare than the gold of Ophir. I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place. 
place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. You know, it's not hard to understand how some people could end up, if they're not led well, shepherded well, terrified of God. If all you want, if what you wanted to do was to grab all these pot kind of passages and pile them up, well, you would cause people to freak out, right? I think so. We read them all in the light of Jesus. And Jesus did show us there's such a thing as righteous anger, right? What He, he called God's judgment down upon the temple when he went and turned the tables over and invoked the words and actions of Jeremiah. And he was vindicated when the temple was destroyed 40 years later. So don't think that injustice simply doesn't matter to God. Of course it matters to God. But in Christ we are offered we are offered we are offered rescue and mercy and grace. Paul writes that, you know, none of us none of us measure up to 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 God's standard. You know, I think we live in a here in America in 2021 by and large, in a pretty civilized world. As I've said sometimes, I don't know how civilized we would be if somebody cut the power off for 90 days. Um, and But the, these pictures of, of, of judgment, how are they tempered? Are they tempered because we say, oh, what the Babylonians do or anybody else isn't that bad? No, they're tempered because of the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how they're tempered. Does that make sense, Patty? Yes. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Because there's a lot of heavy stuff here. That's why I suggested if we read through 12 chapters of this. <laughs> <laughs> We would be like, oh my gosh, you know, and then we're going to come across these places where, well, we're about to come upon one. Okay, verse 14, like a hunted gazelle, like sheep without a shepherd, they will all return to their own people. They will flee to their native land. He's going to chase everybody back home to rescue his people. That's the gist of it. Whoever is captured will be thrust through. All who are caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be looted and their wives violated. And you just throw up your hands. You go, what the heck? This is the scroll of Isaiah? This is God's sacred word? Wow. So, my friends. That is why you're skipping the next few chapters. Well, it. <laughs> I want people to understand this. Let's, let's leave the scroll of Isaiah. Let's, leave, let's go to a different scroll. We're going to walk over. We're going to grab a different scroll out of the box where okay. the scrolls are kept. And we're going to go to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. Okay, Scott. 137. Psalm, well, there's a lot of psalms there. That's a very short psalm, actually. It is a very short psalm. Okay. 
This psalm comes to us from the time after the Babylonian destruction. Imagine, hmm, I may play with the wording just a little bit. We're all friends. First verse, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Let me just play with that a little bit. By the rivers of Mariupol, we sat and wept when we remembered Ukraine. Utter destruction. And people are lost. And they're weeping. And they're bitter. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors, the Babylonians, asked us to sing for them. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Sing us some of those great Ukrainian tunes, all you people, after we have taken you out of your homes and murdered you and raped your women and the rest of it. Verse 4, how can we sing the songs of Yahweh while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its, skull, its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Yahweh, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. The Edomites represented the Babylonians. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Why? Because they are against God to go back to the skull of Isaiah. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. And you, you leave Psalm 137 and you're staggering away and you're thinking, this is Holy Scripture. And, and, and it is. Because we can come to God with every emotion we feel. This is emotional honesty. The passage in Isaiah is emotional honesty. It's emotional honesty about what has happened, people's desire for vengeance. Yes, vengeance is mine, God says. Yes, Jesus says, forgive 70 times 7. But vengeance springs into our hearts because our hearts are stained with darkness. So it's honest. Don't you love it when people are honest with you? When they're, sure. what's a modern word, authentic. When they're authentic, when they're being really, really honest and just true to you and just giving it to you directly. Well, that's what Psalm 137 does. Because they're so, is because of the destruction wreaked upon these Jews by the Babylonians. And that is what we see in chapter 13 in Isaiah. And I can't tell you where all those particular verses came from in Isaiah or exactly who penned what in the scroll of Isaiah. But the scroll of Isaiah is taken by the Jews to be Holy Scripture, at least in part because it carries their honest emotion 
about their life with God, including the times when everything is dark and lost and their children are dying and their husbands have been killed and they've been shipped a thousand miles from home by the Babylonians or the Assyrians or whoever the oppressors of the day are. That's one of the glories of Scripture. You see, if it was all cleaned up and all prettied up, how, how, how helpful would it be? Uh, too many people come to the Bible and, and they, they say, well, I want to go to the Bible and I want to go up page and find out all the things I need to be doing today. That is not what the Bible is. By any stretch, that is not what it is. The Bible is there to help you understand our life with God and understand who God is in all of its dimensions, and that includes every dimension of our human existence. And because we live in a, live in a world of sin and death, there's going to be darkness and pain and anger and desires for vengeance and the rest of it in there. It's just how it is. And people who want to then use it to make God into this terrible, bloodthirsty monster, they're abusing Scripture. That's the part that makes me mad. I read Chris Hitchens' book, God is Not Great. When I finished it, I said, well, neither is Chris Hitchens. So, um, because he, I guess he just didn't, I don't know if he had never been taught well, never been helped by somebody to say to him the things I'm saying to you now about what these passages are and why, and why they can be cherished for their honesty and their honesty of human emotion. Um, Why do we have the story of David and Bathsheba? Gosh, if there were one story that, that David would have covered up, it was that one. You know, the story of David's rape of Bathsheba, and that's what it is. It isn't told in the book of Chronicles, sort of the official documents. It's told in the book of Kings. And in the book of Psalms, we have this long psalm from David about his regret and his, and his repentance. Um, so, uh, anyway, I'm going to stop because I'm, I've, I've been ranting long enough. So, Patty. Yes. Anything to add to that? What time is it? It is 4.10. Okay. Well, I think we're just going to stop there. Why not? That's, we're stopping at 16. I think maybe if I have, can I take a couple of minutes to just read through the end of 13 so I know really where we stopped? Sure, of course. I don't think there'll be much to comment on. I've said most everything today. Verse 17, see, I will stir up against them the Medes, another ancient power, who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. Yeah, right. Their bow, bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms. The pride and glory of the Babylonians will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. She will never be inhabited or lived in through all generations. There no nomads will pitch their tents, no shepherds will rest their flocks. 
The desert creatures will lie there. Jackals will fill her houses. The owls will dwell, and there the wild goats will leap about. Hyenas will inhabit her strongholds. Jackals are luxurious her luxurious places, her time is at hand, and her days will not be prolonged. So, you know, if you want to do something cool after class today, here's what you can do. Go to YouTube and and Google in Ozymandias. And I'm going to type it in. Ozymandias was a poem written by Shelley in a little contest, Ozymandias. And it is about a great king who thinks that his empire will last forever. Yeah. But all that's left is a few broken pieces of a statue and a great vista of sand. So, and so, 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 go to YouTube, put in Ozymandias, and listen to Brian Cranston a Breaking Bad of all people. He reads it, and he reads it re really well. It only takes like a minute and a half or something. It's a short poem. But yeah, it's really good. And, and it's all, yeah. If you're not familiar with it, you will be surprised when you hear it how many times you hear parts of this poem. Yeah, because it just captures this whole idea yeah. of these arrogant, proud rulers and kings and indeed in the story of breaking bad i mean they used it as the introduction to one season mm -hmm. because walter white walter white had lost his way yeah. in his pride and arrogance yeah. right yes absolutely okay wow okay cool absolutely. stuff absolutely so you know in the beginning <laughs> of class when you were talking about the ukraine um diaspora um I read an article on Friday in the New York Times um, about this. I I watch a lot of conservative news, and so I've got a subscription to the New York Times, too, to kind Balancing of keep me up. balanced. And they have some really good stories and really good articles. And, you know, we've read, all of us have read these stories in the Bible, and Scott's read them for us. We've heard them in Scripture. We've heard them since we're little kids. Um and it really, you know, it was really hard for us to ever really imagine this happening again in our times. And in, in the article, it was talking about that right now there's 40 million, um, of course, 40 million Ukrainians. And they estimate right now 10 million are not in their homes. 3 million have left and gone on to other countries. And this other 7 million have moved to other parts where they felt it would be safer in Ukraine. Um, half the children in Ukraine no longer live in their own homes. Mm. Half. Half of them. I mean... And all they want to do is just be able just to go be, home. Just, just be like it was. And um, one, of the, one of the things that, you know, really got me was they talked about this very small little country, Moldova, who is like one of the smallest. I don't know what's smaller. Maybe... The Vatican they almost, and they Monaco. almost define small. Yes, <laughs> Monaco or the Vatican, but it's and it's also one of the poorest countries in Europe, and they have taken in one hundred thousand refugees, and ninety percent of them are living in people's personal homes. Wow! And the United States has said we're going to take in a hundred thousand 
United States of 330 million people. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, I'm hoping as time goes on you that... You think we could do more? I think we could do more than that. Yeah. I think we could do more than that. Of course, Ukrainians may not even want to come this That's far. That's true, and it's very far. they want to get they, home. They, hopefully, someday, they want to go back they home. They want to get home. But, man, people have opened their hearts and they're um, A lot of amazing up. stories. Yeah. But like we're saying, one of the poorest countries in all of Europe being so generous with everything. Yep. It's amazing. Anyway... Hope you guys enjoy the rest of this beautiful afternoon. Slightly windy, but looks gorgeous outside. And um, if, for those of you who uh, don't know, somehow forgot or haven't been here with us, we've moved back Tuesdays to in-person down in Piro Hall. And so that's tomorrow. The class starts at 12. And you know, Scott, I mean, 12, it starts. So people actually started getting there <laughs> way before 1130. Yeah, we like to Tuesday gather and talk. And talk and things Eat. like that. And we're really helping. Last week, there was, uh, it, it was more than a glitch. The, oh, all the technical stuff did not work. And they it was not our fault. Be so much better. So please, if you do come online tomorrow, you can't make it in person, be patient for just a few minutes if they're if they're trying to have to work any bugs out. And um, I will post something on Scott's Facebook page or something if if they can't, you know, get it going again. But, but hopefully they, they it's promised gonna work. that it's going to work Think tomorrow. positive. Yes. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together to study your word. We thank you, God, for all of those that are online with us right now. We pray for them and their families. We ask you, God, to hold each of us close. It's scary times, Lord. Even here in the U.S., things aren't quite the same as, as they were, you know, just even a few years ago. And we just pray, God, for your Holy Spirit, God, to just hold us close and that we would feel the Spirit of God every day, God, in all that we do. We pray, Lord, that you would help to keep us healthy and safe and we pray, God, for your wisdom and your discernment in each of our lives, that you would help us make good choices and good decisions, Lord, every day. And we pray, God, for those in our family that maybe we've been praying for for a long time, for them to accept your son, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. We love you, Lord. Again, we just thank you for just loving us so much. We lift all these prayers up to you, and we pray them all in the name of your risen Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Adios, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.